Um, you might not be aware of it, um, but Dan and I have been working from a booklet for this Lenten season. It, it was called um, Sacred Invitation, uh, written by a couple of our theologians, Nazarene theologians. Uh, one of them, Stephanie Dernis Lobdell, writes this in the opening line of today's devotional. She writes, Hallelujah, the long night has passed and the dawn has broken on the horizon. The curse of sin and death that has bound up creation for so long, and that was my emphasis, she, she just wrote for so long, for so long has finally been undone. And it would have been really all good and fine if she had just stopped right there, right? Just, just stopped right there, you know, hallelujah, glory bound, we all go into heaven, right? He was risen from the grave, and we're going to be risen from the grave, and, and that, that's an amazing thing to look forward to. But then she throws in this last line that just kind of throws a wrench in the whole thing. She says, and our healing has begun. You know, and I, and I think the, the way I grew up, like, you know, the healing happened on the cross, right? And, and, I, and I got victory because of what Jesus did, and I get to go to heaven, and everything's good, and I'm glory bound, and everything is fantastic. But then she says, what, what do you mean my healing has just begun, what? Wait a minute. I thought Jesus covered everything. What do you mean my healing has just begun? We're going to come back to that. But first, I want to, I want to just take a, a quick moment. That, that Psalm 150, we had it read earlier this morning, uh, this evening, this morning, Kelly. Um, and, and as you read that Psalm, I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you, it's the last Psalm of the Psalter, Psalm 150. There's 150 of them, yeah. But if you start at number one, it's, it's very interesting, these bookend psalms. In the first psalm, the writer is, is saying that um, God is to be glorified and, to, and you need to be thankful and everything because of Torah, because of his law, the word, right? And, and we, when we obey it, we have life and we have joy and we have happiness. Like there's this, there's this kind of these conditions almost in, in, in Psalm 1. And then you get to Psalm 50, like you've, you've, you've praised God 150 times, right? And you get to 150... And, and, and it's like the, the writer of the Psalms ran out of reasons, right? So if you look at Psalm 50, 150, it's just praise God, praise God. He's amazing, praise God. There's no particular reason. Just praise him for absolutely everything. Just, just praise God, right? And, and it's kind of where we arrive at if we fully understand what happened on Easter morning, right? We, I mean, just you look around the world and all you can do is, wow, that's amazing, that's amazing. That, everything is beautiful, right? The sun shines every day when you understand really what happened on Easter morning morning. More importantly, what happened between Friday and Sunday morning, right? Between the tomb, between the cross and the empty tomb. What went on during that time? And again, the writer of the Psalm 150, I, I don't know if he's so elated because he just had some really good news after some really bad news. You know how that happens, right? You experience good, but it's more intense because after you've just experienced bad, right, by the comparison. Or, or maybe he had been actually at death's door. Um, but with an incredibly grateful heart, the writer of Psalm 150, right, he's, he's just so grateful. And he has an absolute faith. You know, it doesn't say this, but as you read through the entire Psalter, you, you get this clearly this message. Um, he's got a grateful heart, but he also has an absolute promise, an absolute faith in a promise that was given way, way, way back in the garden that the evil one would be defeated. And then the promise was given again to Abraham. Someone's going to come. I'm going to send somebody, and they're going to save 
all humanity. And that promise was given to person after person after person, and thousands of those people, and they never even lived to see the promise fulfilled, but they had an absolute faith in the promise. And that brings them to what the psalm, back up just a little bit, quite a bit. I don't know where you're at. Let's go back to Psalm 150, right there at the beginning. No, you're only back one. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I mean, the whole psalm is just overflowing, bubbling with joy. Now, I don't know, unless you spent your entire life particularly this past year, living under a rock or maybe living on a tropical island somewhere in the Pacific, um, but you've probably experienced the same kind of pain and sorrow that the writer of Psalm 150 must have experienced in his lifetime to now be so filled with joy. You've probably experienced, in fact, what the disciples experienced during those days between the cross and the tomb, right? Scared to death. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that probably every person hearing my voice has spent long and agonizing nights scared to death. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons we can be scared to death. Um, You know, during the day, right, you can do something about it, right? You can preoccupy your mind, but at nighttime in the darkness, it's horrible, right? Again, scared to death. When I was a little kid, I don't know, third or fourth grade, I understood Christianity to mean that if I did anything wrong and I died, I was going to go to hell. And so I would lie awake, and, and I, would, I would pretty soon, I'd be in tears. I'd be so freaked out that if I did anything wrong, I was toast. I, know, was, I was a goner, right? I mean, I, I was scared to death. Not a good feeling to have. Not a good feeling to have at all. Um, maybe, you know, during this last year or two, a lot of false news has come down, you know, left or right, they all, they all kind of played the game. And, and I know a lot of times I just thought, what? And then I find out later in the day, nah, not so much, right? And can you imagine the disciples, you know, asking that question, was it all a hoax? Was it all a hoax? Was Jesus lying to us? What a horrible, horrible feeling. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for news from the hospital, That'll scare somebody to death. Waiting to find out if somebody made it through the night, a loved one. Waiting to find out if the delivery of the baby was successful and his mom okay and the, and the baby is okay. We, you know, waiting all night long. We, we had that. We had our granddaughter with her tube wrapped around her neck, and it was a long, horrible night. It was horrible. Maybe, maybe you're scared to death because you don't have a place to live. I'm, I'm homeless, hunger. Natural disasters, we've seen it on the news all week, these tornadoes and and people lying awake all night. Will we have a house to live in in the morning or will it be gone? And then the terminal news, maybe you've lost your job because of COVID or for whatever reason, or maybe, maybe you go to the doctor and you hear the word stage four, scared to death. You're scared to death. You all understand what the disciples felt and what the writer of Psalm 150 felt. I know you all do. And then there's things like, like the long night, right? Civil rights, the Civil War ends, and Booker T. Washington tells black Americans that you were so close to getting freedom and, and for everything that you had prayed for for so long to have it taken away. And Booker T. Washington tells Black America to be patient, be patient. A hundred years later, they're asking, how much longer? How much longer? Or the long silence, 
It's what the Bible calls between the, 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 the last prophets, you know, Zechariah, Haggai, and, and Malachi. It's like the Shekinah. The, the, the presence of God had left Israel. And for 450 some odd years, God was silent, and the people were asking, Are you still there? Do we still count? Do we still have life? And again, the disciples, would there be 12 more crosses? Right? They're scared to death. Or maybe it's not so much a flesh and blood, life and death kind of thing, but it's so deep and personal, it might as well be a flesh and blood, life and death kind of thing. Right? Have you ever had somebody hurt you? Or you hurt somebody? And again, you're lying awake at night and you recognize, oh my. I can't believe what I did today. And you lie there awake and you think, what are they feeling right now? And, and maybe you did it on purpose. Maybe it was an accident, but, but the, the damage has been done. And then maybe somebody did that to you. Maybe somebody rejected you or wronged you or falsely accused you of something or, or you got falsely punished because of what they said. And you're lying awake all night long. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. What am I going to say to them when I see that? Ooh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. And you're lying awake all night long. Someone's got to get, someone's going to get hurt. You ever hear, I, I hear this phrase all the time, and it just, it throws me for a second. I hear Christian men, I, I don't know why, this is, the, I, hear, I hear them say this. I'm a Christian man, but if you say something bad about my wife, I'm going to, and then they proceed to say something very, very unchristian. And, 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 I, and, I, and I always sit there and think, well, wait, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. You said you're a Christian man, but apparently there's conditions upon which you don't have to be Christian, right? You can do and say anything you want. You can, you can play the, the, the kingdoms of this world card, and it's okay because, hey, you hurt somebody I love. What? <laughs> just, just a little bit kind of crazy there. And maybe it's, maybe it's the, you know, that you're scared to death the night before. The night before, you're, you're going to go get fired, right? You know it. And all night long, you're thinking about what you're going to tell your boss. And then on the whole drive to the meeting, you're thinking about what you're going to tell your boss, right? You haven't had a chance to tell him because he might fire, but you know you're going to get fired today. So, hey, you know, what do you have to lose? And you get to the meeting, and your boss shames you. He shames you by being generous and forgiving and providing a way forward. And your, your jaw is just kind of dropping like you had so much to say. And then your boss turns around and, and loves you sacrificially. <laughs> My boss, that's, that's what happened. See, he understood the full message of the cross and the empty tomb. He understood what the disciples were still missing. But would quickly see with a little bit of Holy Spirit help. We're going to jump into John chapter 20. And, and just to let you know, I'm going to be in John chapter 20 and Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. I'll hit a couple other passages, but those are my two keys. So if you've got your fingers in those two places. Chapter John, chapter 20 of John, verse 19 says this. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders... I'll just stop right there just very, very quickly. Um, there's two kind of fears going on here, one stated and one that you, you kind of got to gather from all the other gospels and in the writings. Um, one fear is that the Jewish leaders are going to turn them over to the Roman leaders, right? That's their fear because that's what happened to Jesus. 
The Jewish leaders turned him over to the Roman authorities, and the Roman authorities killed him, crucified him. That, they're, they're definitely afraid of that. But I think the second thing they're afraid of is that the master's plan had failed. Maybe, maybe Jesus didn't fail. Maybe Jesus lied. Right? C.S. Lewis says that, 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 that Jesus offers us three choices. Right? The first choice is the man's crazy, like in the order of a man who thinks he's a poached egg. Right? So that's one option. The other option is that he's just a liar. And the third option is that he's telling us the truth. He is the Son of God. So their fear, they're, they're scared to death that the master plan had failed, or worse, that they'd been duped, misled, or lied to. But there was Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. In the flesh. And instead of chastising them, right? Peace, peace be with you. Now, at one very, very real level, Jesus is addressing their very, very real fears. Right? At one level, he's addressing their very, very real fears. Why? Because he's been raised to life. He's been raised to life. The darkness and the fears and the anxieties, we heard Doug talk about that, are all chased away with the light of the world. Right? Jesus is telling the people, look, I understand what it means to be rejected and cheated and lied to and falsely accused and falsely punished, to be tempted to handle things by the ways of the kingdoms of this world and rather than my Father's kingdom. I know what it feels like. I understand. That's why we all love Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 so much. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's beautiful. We love that. We love that about Jesus, right? And then we can read and understand the following words in verse 16. Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. But here's the problem. When we hear the words raised to life, right, we, we think raised to eternal life. And there's two ways you can go with that word, right? Two ways. One, well, we'll get to that. Raised to eternal life, right? Life after death, right? Life later. We, 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 we bought into this idea that, that Jesus is going to die, he's, he's raised to life, so that when we die, we too will be raised to life. But the picture, the story is so much more than that. At one level, this is absolutely true. Absolutely true. But it's only part of the truth. It's only part of the way. And it's only part of the life that he promises us, the abundant life that he promises us. He calls it eternal life. And he tells us, and this is, this is the, the, the little riddle that kind of throws us a little bit, you have eternal life starting now. And you're like, what? <laughs> How does that work? I thought eternity starts when I die. So that, that's what we all miss. That's what we miss about the cross. He's saying like, on the cross, no, eternity starts now. Eternal life, the fullness of life that I had planned for you from the beginning is available starting now. It'll get a whole lot fuller when you're glorified, when you when you meet your Savior in person, but between now and then, right, you've been given incredible power, incredible, incredible power. So at one level, this is a very, very true. But it's only one part of the, the way and the truth and the life that starts today, that started on Easter Sunday. See, Jesus tries to point out this deeper truth to the, to the disciples um, 
this fuller truth and this way and this, this way of life to the rather startled disciples. And, and I'm going to share something with you. I, 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 I got to dig a little bit deeper. This is just my feeling. It kind of struck me. John 20, 20 says this. After he said this, you know, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and sighed. The very next phrase, the very next sentence, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Does anybody see a disconnect there? I had never noticed it until this week. This, this disconnect, like he's so, it's like Jesus wants to show them something super, super, super important. And it's not necessarily that he's alive. That, that, that's important, but he's trying to show them something. He's, try, he's trying to show them why. All the, they're the, I, I, you get the impression they're just like, they're just like, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus isn't dead, so we don't got to die either, right? There's not going to be a cross from us, so somehow he escaped it, so we're going to escape it too. Apparently, he didn't lie to us, so everything's good. And like, you can just see the disciples, okay, Jesus, right? That, that, that last one, that was a mulligan, right? Bad start. Let's start, let's, let's go back to the drawing board, right? How are we going to get rid of these pesky Romans, and how are we going to get the nation of Israel back on top again, right? You just know that's what's on the disciples' minds. They still don't get it, and Jesus is going, suffering, suffering. Let me keep going here. See, he was trying to say something, and the disciples, they were just glad that they, again, they hadn't been cheated. Jesus is alive. Um, so knowing that they wouldn't fully understand until given the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? We looked at that a couple weeks ago. We don't really have a full understanding until the master's touch, right? John 20, verses 21, 22, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That phrase, that, that whole part right there kind of always throws me because I think, wait a minute, Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit was given. And, and so there's, there's a lot of debate, a lot of ideas here. One, one, one group of writers says that, like in this passage, Jesus is saying um, he's given the instruction, but they don't actually, re, they don't actually do the instruction until Pentecost. I, I don't know. I, it, it, the truth is somewhere in there. But, but here's for me the, the bottom line. The bottom line is this. The promised peace and the promised rest that had thus far eluded them was still available. It was still available. Right? The peace and the rest of the promised land that had been promised so long ago that had never been achieved because they had disobeyed was still available. It was still there. Here's what they didn't understand, and many of us still don't understand. The promised land was only the promised land when they promised to live as they promised, right? It, it doesn't work any other way. It's not just that the promised land is we get to arrive and, hey, God bless us. The whole deal was they were to be a blessing to the surrounding nation. They were to be God to people. They were to be the surrounding nation's savior nation. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand. It was all about them. They took all the blessings and... They kind of turned it all weird and said, we get all the blessings because we're special. Y'all don't get blessings because you're, ugh. <laughs> That's kind of where their heads went. In Genesis, oh, let, let, me, let me back up one step here. Um, they enter the promised land. Um, in, in chapter 4 of Hebrews, now this is your homework. I'm not going to go into great detail here. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, all the way up to our phrase, you know, our, our, our passage where we said, like, we have a high priest and we love him because he understands our problems. He can empathize with us, right? The whole chapter before that, that really neat verse, the writer to the Hebrews is trying to tell the Israelites the rest 
that you missed? Remember when you went into the promised land and I told you to wipe out everything, start fresh entirely, but you didn't, right? You intermarried, you started bringing in the idols from her family and, you know, and then, yeah, and, and then everything just kind of fell apart. Remember that. Remember that time. And, and throughout chapter 4, the writer is saying that rest is still available. And it's kind of a convoluted argument, but basically he's saying this. When you look at the Genesis account, each of the first six days, it has an ending, a beginning and an ending. It kind of begins in the evening and ends in the morning. It's kind of a weird way of keeping time. But on the seventh day, I don't know if you guys all recognize this, but there's no end of the day. The day doesn't end. So the Jewish rabbis, they kind of looked at this and they kind of concluded that there's this eternal Sabbath rest that's available because it didn't end on that seventh day. It's an eternal Sabbath rest. But they have to die to the ways of the Pharisees and the ways of the Herods in order to access this promise, this promised land. They don't have to die. They don't have to wait till they die to get into that rest. But they got to die to the ways of violence and the ways of coercion and the ways of religious oppression. They've got to die to those kind of things. Listen to this. This is, just, this is right before our passage in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. This is verse 9 and 10. There remains then a Sabbath rest. And this is what the writer is talking about, that, that last day that never ended. A Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. And the idea here is we have to rest from our works. We, we've tackled the world like this is going to be, this is about us. This is about our effort, about our skills, our, us, us, us. And, and we'll win the world and we'll do this. We'll take care of our problems. We'll take care of our boss. We'll take care of the person who hurt us. We'll take per, care of the person who rejected us. We'll handle it in the world's way by God. And that's the way we're going to do it. And God's saying, no, you know, that's not the best way. That's, that's, that's not, not, not the way that's going to work. I think this is why Jesus was so happy and proud, right, to show them his hands and his side. It's like God's kingdom won. You all thought on Friday that I lost, and the love that I had been preaching to you for these past three years was wrong. And on Easter morning, he looks at his disciples and says, God's way won. The kingdom of this world, they lost. They thought they won. They arrived with a cross, but Jesus answered with an empty tomb. The ways of this world are not standing at the end of the day, friends. The ways of God are the ways that are still standing at the end of the day. You have absolute confidence in this now. The ways of the world will lose. They will not be standing at the end of the day. This also explains what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 12 when he was telling the disciples that he had to suffer and die. It says this in John 12, verse 22. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
So today we celebrate that Jesus Christ chose to suffer and die and be buried in the tomb and raised to life on the third day, and we get three things out of this. I just want to be really super clear now. Pastor Jerry is going to land this plane now, okay? Two of the things I know you're aware of because we talk about them all the time. The third one I'm not absolutely certain we're all, we're all aware of. The number one thing that Jesus does on the cross, he pays for my sins and he pays for your sins. Right? I don't have to pay the penalty for my sins, and you don't have to pay the penalty. This is the sting of death that Paul talks about in his letter to the Thessalonians. Right? This is what we fear about death because now it's time to get punished. Now we're going to meet our maker. But when we have Christ, that sting, that fear of death is taken away, and death is we go and meet our maker. There's no, there's no fear. Like the sting of death has been removed. That's the first thing. That's amazing. Sin has been defeated in that manner. The second thing... Just as important, eternal death has been defeated. Eternal life starts now, but it keeps going. It, there's that idea too, right? Because he died on the cross, was risen from the grave, he, that same resurrection power is available to us. So those are two amazing things. But the third thing, I'm just not so sure people are really wrapping their heads around. The third thing is on the cross and on Easter Sunday, Jesus proves that at the end of the day, God's kingdom is the kingdom still standing. Everybody thought on Friday, you lost. Love loses. And on Easter morning, no, love won, right? Love wins. Evil loses. And keep reading verse 23. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, and while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And again, he's not saying if you, lose your, if, if you give up your life now, I'm going to give you a better one when you die. Look at the word eternal life. That starts now. If you give up your privileges and your rights and your prerogatives and all of that, he's saying that you will begin living today. Today, not the day you die, but you can begin living today. Again, a play on words, right? Lose your privileges, and I'm going to give you an amazing life in return. We're free from sin that leads to death on two very important levels here. Like I said earlier, we're free from the penalty of sin, Right? when we eventually meet Jesus, but we're also freed from the belief that selfishness and self-centeredness will win at the end of the day. See, we, we talk ourselves into that. When somebody has wronged us, we'll sit there and we'll, ra we'll, we'll do the crazy rationalization in the world. We'll somehow make it okay like God wants you to go hurt them because you're God's tool of punishment, right? You're you're. You're God's, you're special. No, 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 don't, don't believe that. Don't believe that. You're, we're freed finally from selfishness and self-centeredness. In other words, we can now trust and believe because of the cross and the empty tomb that sacrificial love wins the day. Verse 24, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. So by following his example on the cross, suffering sacrificially for those who can't or they won't, we proclaim the victory of the cross. We celebrate because our healing has begun. See, now it finally makes sense. We watch what Jesus did, and then we start emulating that, and we find out, wow, he's right. Right? Love wins at the end of the day. It, it, it's amazing. So the violence and the selfishness that led to so much unnecessary pain and suffering has been proven impotent. It lost. The ways and the kingdoms of this world lost. Powerless in the face of sacrificial love. 
The cross that man intended for evil, God redeems for good. Jesus wins. God's kingdom wins. And so we celebrate. And we're going to celebrate this morning with communion. We celebrate why? Because Christ has been risen to life, and because he's been risen to life, we can be risen to life starting today. See, my boss understood something that I didn't at that time, but you now understand. You can trust God's kingdom, doing things God's way. This is the full message of the cross and the empty tomb. So the night before Jesus was crucified, one more object lesson to make sure that both the disciples and we understand what he was driving at, what he wanted to say to the disciples, what he wanted to say to us. So as we prepare the elements, I want to look at chapter 4 of Hebrews one last time. I'm going to start with verse 14. Get that ready. Verse 14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. What that, that, that one verse is saying right there is that we have a Savior that has absolute access to God. The best way I can say that. When we celebrate communion in just a moment, that, that'll be the blood, the juice, the wine. We, we have a Savior who, by His divine blood, overcame evil, defeated evil, defeated sin, defeated death. But then the next verse, the next verse is just as crucial because this is where it, right, it hits home. It, 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 it becomes flesh and blood for us. For we do not have, again, we read this earlier, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so in verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, we now understand what we need to be asking for and what Jesus wants to give us. It's his kingdom on earth, even as it is in heaven. See, we got this crazy idea that, that God's game plan is to haul us all the way to heaven, but his game plan is to bring the party down to earth, right? That's the plan. The plan is to flood earth with love, drowning out all evil. Right? We get a little picture of that in the Old Testament. That's the plan. And, and we're part of the plan. We're the ones that he's sending out, right? He said, go, I send you. And he breathes his Holy Spirit into us. We're the ones that are going to carry out his plan by loving our neighbors, by loving our brothers and sisters, by loving our parents, by loving our teenagers. <laughs> That's the way we're going to get this thing done. This is the nature of God's kingdom. And you will never find rest and peace in this world by playing by the rules of the world. Father, thank you. Thank you for showing us how to live. I guess in a way you showed us how to die in order to live. And so, Father, as we, we partake in communion this morning, we're made just hyper aware of this is the way you lived your life and, and you've given us the power of your spirit to live our lives in like manner, to be Christ-like. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for making all this possible through the blood of your son, through the example of his life, perfect obedience, 
and the way that you blessed him and glorified him and lifted him up. Father, your word says that you'll do the same with us. When we glorify your name, you'll lift us up. Starting today, thank you, Father, for raising us to life. Starting today. Amen.